Okay, so I played that instead of the intro today because I think I'm on a Billie Eilish tear right now. I'm going to do tomorrow's show. Welcome to day 36 of the Unsanctioned Citizen. I didn't play the intro today because you've already heard it like 10,000 times. Uh, or I feel like I've heard it 10,000 times. And it's good enough to have a song introduce the show. So I've invited, let me go ahead and invite all the people again. One, two, and three. Let's try it again. So, all right, so here we are. Uh, we're going to be doing a second reading, and this is for The Trial of Julian Assange by Nils Melzer. How unfair. It's a story of persecution. It is. Now, this first chapter is called How to Miss an Elephant, How to Miss a, an Elephant, and part one is called Glimpse Behind the Curtain. So I like these these types of titles because they they start pointing out the obvious. Like people just you'll notice a common thread. People will see something bad happening, and they're like, No, 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 that's not happening, and I'm going to be in denial about that for a little while. And so I'll just I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and pretending that's not happening, but it's happening. And so they don't really know how to deal with it. So unfortunately, the first pathology of really bad things going on is denial. They can't handle it. So it's it's just jarring to the conscience. You know, part of shock is is denial. And so you have to kind of steep people slowly. There's many different ways to approach it, but we're just going to see what the author did. So this is How to Miss an Elephant. Out of sight, out of mind. It was just before Christmas 2018, and I was sitting at my desk working on my annual report for the Human Rights Council in Geneva. This is the UN body that had appointed me and to which I reported as an independent expert on the worldwide compliance with the prohibition of torture and ill treatment. Twice a year I was expected to collectively address the UN member states in the spring at the Human Rights Council in Geneva and in the autumn at the General Assembly in New York. These were my opportunities to freely choose an issue relevant to the prohibition of torture and ill treatment and to put it on the agenda of the World Organization. The mandates of UN Special Rapporteurs are unpaid honorary positions. Like most colleagues, I earn my living as an academic. I'm a professor of international law at the University of Glasgow and the Geneva Academy of International Humanitarian Law and Human Rights. The most powerful asset of UN Special Rapporteurs is their independence. Once elected, mandate holders are to be guided solely by their service to the cause of human rights and may not be influenced by anyone in the performance of their duties. In the exercise of their functions, they enjoy diplomatic immunity and operate largely outside the organization's hierarchies structures, and decision-making processes, which are strongly dominated by political interest. In an ideal world, with adequate budgets and sufficient staff, dedicated special rapporteurs could achieve a great deal. In the real world, however, states lack not only the financial means, but also, and above all, the political will to effectively and comprehensively implement human rights, as this would require them to overcome outdated power structures, privileges, and exploitation, which often are deeply intertwined with national politics. 
as proven means for states to limit the influence of special rapporteurs is the incessant creation of additional mandates and commissions on new human rights topics without increasing the overall budget available for the work of independent experts. In any case, the structural lack of financial and human resources for the special rapporteurs is hardly accidental. In December 2018, I was busy finalizing my report, this time on the interrelation between corruption and torture, AHRC 40-59, when suddenly a small window popped up on my screen indicating the arrival of a new email. Julian Assange is seeking your protection, the subject blind head. Julian Assange? Was this not the founder of WikiLeaks? The shady hacker with the white hair and the leather jacket who was hiding out in an embassy somewhere in the, in because of rape allegations? Out of nowhere, I was overtaken by a host of disparaging thoughts and almost reflexive feelings of rejection. Assange? No, I certainly would not be manipulated by this guy. After all, I had more important things to do. I had, had to take care of real torture victims. Close the pop-up window with a single click. Out of sight, out of mind. Then I turned back to my report on overcoming prejudice and self-deception in connection with official corruption. Not until a few months later would I realize the striking irony of the situation. What's a, what's a UN Special Rapporteur? Anyone can transmit allegations on violations of the prohibition of torture and ill-treatment to the Special Rapporteur on torture, or as my full title reads, the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman, or Degrading Treatment or Punishment. Requests for an intervention can be submitted at any time, by standard letter or mail, even before any violation has occurred, and regardless of whether police reports, court proceedings, or other formalities have been initiated. All special rapporteurs are appointed directly by the 47 member states of the UN Human Rights Council in a lengthy selection process and carry out their functions with the strictest independence. We have no hierarchical superiors and may not seek or accept any instruction to the exercise of our mandates, whether from the United Nations or from individual governments or other actors. My office is located at the Office of High Commissioner for Human Rights in Geneva which is the organizational branch of the UN that deals with the protection of human rights. Two staff members are assigned to my mandate there, so-called human rights officers. Every week we receive about 50 requests for interventions and other inquiries. These can be initiated by torture victims themselves, but also by lawyers, NGO representatives, relatives, witnesses, or even by other authorities, states, or UN bodies. It is then up to my team to review the request and, where necessary, obtain additional information in order to assess their credibility. Once consolidated, the case's file is passed on to me for consideration and decision on the action to be taken. Consistent with my mandate, my interventions are generally concerned with the prevention, investigation, prosecution, and redress of torture corporal punishment, and other cruel and or degrading treatment, inhumane conditions of detention, and extraditions or deportations to state where people are at risk of being exposed to such abuse. The relevant violations may have been committed by state officials or at their instigation merely with their consent or acquiescence. In case of violations, I can intervene directly with the foreign ministers of all UN member states through the diplomatic missions in Geneva. 
This means that I can transmit allegations I have received of torture and ill-treatment to the state concerned, that I request the government to clarify and comment on these allegations, and that I make recommendations on the measures to be taken. This correspondence and the government's response initially remain confidential, but, after 60 days, both are published on the High Commissioner's website. In urgent cases, there is also the possibility of alerting the public through a press release. As Special Rapporteur, I do not exercise any judicial function, and my conclusions and recommendations are not binding on states. Of the request for inf intervention submitted to my office, we can address 1 in 10 at best. A team of three simply cannot manage more, given that we also have to prepare official country visits, draft official reports, and cooperate with other mechanisms for the protection of human rights, first and foremost with the other UN Special Rapporteurs, working groups, and relevant committees. Every day we are, therefore, forced to set priorities and take difficult decisions without the luxury of lengthy reflection. When in doubt, we always prioritize urgent cases where it may still be possible to prevent imminent human rights violations. Depending on the workload, the requests received by my office result in between 100 and 200 official interventions per year. Of these, about a third do not even receive a response. While remaining two-thirds of our interventions generally do receive, receive responses, they are almost always inadequate in terms of the human rights protection sought. Thus, states have often provide lengthy letters replete with diplomatic smooth talk and assurances, but ultimately fail to provide the requested information or initiate the investigations and other measures required under international law. The bottom line is that in the vast majority of cases, documented abuse is neither acknowledged nor punished, corrected or compensated. Unfortunately, this does not apply only to states notorious for their human rights violations when it comes to protecting the reputation or their economic and security policy interests. Even mature democracies priding themselves on long-standing traditions and the rule of law suddenly start compromising on human rights. As I demonstrated through a comprehensive statistical analysis in my annual report of 2021, AHRC 46-26, barely 10% of my interventions received the quote-unquote full cooperation required by the Human Rights Council and are adequately resolved. It is a deplorable success rate even if one disregards the countless additional requests that cannot even be acted upon due to the lack of resources. This trend has remained largely unchanged since the creation of my mandate in 1985 and seriously calls into question the credibility of the routinely celebrated commitment of all UN member states to the universal prohibition on torture. On individual allegations of torture, states hardly ever agree to engage in serious dialogue that goes beyond diplomatic niceties, as this would require genuine changes of behavior and uncomfortable decisions with which they are generally not prepared to follow through. Due to our heavy caseload, I refer to, or I refer as many applicants as possible to other institutions and authorities that have greater resources and are better placed to follow individual cases in the long term. For example, 
It is certainly not the purpose of my mandate to replace the investigative authorities of functioning democracies, so as long as the police, prosecutors, and courts can actually be relied upon to accomplish their task in line with the rule of law, this question must always be weighed very carefully because even in mature democracies, things can go wrong. For example, when suspects are pressured to confess through coercive detention, when police brutality is not prosecuted or punished with sufficient determination, or when persons face extradition or deportation to a state where they would be exposed to a real risk of torture. An entirely different assessment must be made for requests concerning states in which police and intelligence services are known to routinely kidnap and disappear people in broad daylight. In such cases, family members of the missing often cannot reasonably be expected to trust the local authorities. So I always have to conduct a careful evaluation and be on my guard. Finally, I must never allow my mandate to be misused for political or other extraneous purposes. Beyond the loss of my own credibility, the mandate itself could be irreparably damaged. Caught in my own prejudice. And now this request for help from Julian Assange's lawyers. At some point during the next few hours, I brought myself to, this, to skim the full text of the message. Assange's living conditions in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where he had been staying since June of 2012, were claimed to be incompatible with prohibition of inhumane treatment and, therefore, to come within the scope of my mandate. I read this, but was not convinced or simply did not take it seriously. The possibility that Assange might be truly, truly be ill-treated did not even occur to me. Sure, I could imagine that he was no longer happy staying at the embassy and that he might be suffering a few health issues. Six years can be an eternity for someone confined to the same building. At the same time, I was still affected by all those headlines in the mainstream media, which I had almost unconsciously absorbed over recent years. Assange, the cowardly rapist refusing to turn himself in to the Swedish authorities. Assange, the hacker and spy evading justice in the Ecuadorian embassy. Assange, the ruthless narcissist, traitor, and bastard, and so forth. Only later did I realize how much my perception had been distorted by prejudice. Years of exposure to scandalous headlines and biased reporting, though hardly perceived my conscious, by my conscious mind, had formed an opinion deeply anchored in my emotions, an opinion which I was convinced was based on reliable facts. Thus, even after having read the email, I saw no reason to seriously consider the case of Julian Assange. Manufacturing consent, quote-unquote, is the term introduced by Edward Herman and Noam Chomsky in the late 1980s to describe the communication model of the American mass media, one that has long since been globalized. They show how self-censorship, anticipatory obedience, and economic constraints lead many media institutions to smoothen their reporting in line with the generally accepted consensus. This is precisely what happened in the Assange case. The official narrative had the desired effect on public opinion, myself included. The irony was striking. There I was, drafting my report on the links between corruption and torture, and failing to even notice that the intervention request submitted by Assange's lawyers presented me with a prime example of my topic. In reality, 
The case of Julian Assange is primarily about political corruption, with judicial institutions and processes having been and still being abused for political purposes, for suppressing press freedom and freedom of information, for impunity over torture and war crimes, for the political persecution of dissidents, and for the secrecy of machinations incompatible with democracy and the rule of law. I was not the only UN expert contacted by Assange's lawyers in 2018. They also wrote to the Special Rapporteur on the Situation of Human Rights Defenders and the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention, WGAD. On 21 December of 2018, these colleagues issued a joint press release entitled UN Experts Urge UK to Honor Our Rights Obligations and Let Mr. Julian Assange Leave Ecuador Embassy in London Freely. I had been invited to join, but declined. Instead, I shelved the letter from Assange's lawyers without much thought and barely even noticed the press, press statement. To me, like most people around the world, Assange was just a rapist, hacker, spy, and narcissist. Like so many, I was convinced that I knew the truth about him, even though I couldn't quite remember where that knowledge had come from. It would be another three months before my opinion fundamentally changed. And uh, that is the first segment of the first chapter of the Trial of Julian Assange, A Story of Persecution by Dil Nils Melser, a UN Special Rapporteur. Um, I think we have a few more minutes here. If anybody would like to call in, uh, the next time we do a reading on this, it will be uh, towards WikiLeaks' role in society, Chapter 2. Anyone? Anyone? We have Samantha. We have Jonathan. Oh, hey, William! There you go. Good afternoon, William. How are you? I just filled my mouth with sunflower seeds. Your timing's perfect. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to talk through it. So I, yeah, Say it, I'm don't spray little, it, William. Thank you, sister. If I sound a little mumbled, you know, I, that, that's part of it. So anyway, Chewing is a choice. Chewing is yeah, a choice. Absolutely. So um, speaking about chewing, chewing on this, best of my recollection, the... There's a man who testified against Assange who came out and later admitted that he lied. And I, I, I was about to research that. I'm when, shocked. No, I'm not. Yeah. It's a young fella, and I can't remember the details right now, but it's, you know, we're, we're exposed to so much, trying to remember so much. You know how it is. But I know if we research, we'll find it for the next time you do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the fact that he's still being prosecuted, when the, when the United States key witness has admitted that he lied about um it had something to do with uh, chelsea manning and julian and supposedly the this young fellow said he had some inside information on some thing that was illicit and it all turned out to be a fraud so anyway obviously that needs to be exposed um and it's shocking that assange is still being pursued this way obviously illegally um yeah. what i wanted to add was my own personal experience People tell me I need to have a three-minute summary, which I haven't figured out yet, but this happens. We'll, we'll, we'll shoot. I'll, I'll put you on the timer. Okay, right. go. Oh, my God. Now I can't think. Okay, so now, <laughs> Okay, so this happens on the state level, municipal level. Okay. My cases are emblematic. I've been arrested four times in four years, 14, over 1,400 days of legal prosecution, 
And if you look my name up online, I look like a big bad Shrek. I'm a big guy, and I look like a big bad ogre. But if you were to like, go to well, like with a bad criminal record, well, they've all been. I've never had a conviction. And so, if you went oh. to Connecticut Judicial Case Lookup under criminal, like in other words, Connecticut Judicial is the state site for all legal proceedings, civil so proceedings. So, what is their problem, William? What? Why have they decided to pick on you so so? Well, what happened was. I went after the Catholic Church. I went after lawyers. Mm, that'll do it. Hotel credit card <laughs> banksters. No, this is what happened. No, I, I, I believe you. you. Yeah. That'll do I it. And I was prevailing in civil in all litigation, um, in all my arguable motions, that were, well, brought by opposing counsel. And um, my third arrest was actually in the courthouse, in the clerk's office, where the stadies came in and arrested me. Now, keep in mind, like, you know, the Dodzinger case, how in civil he got slapped with a with an ex parte. I got to shut my other phone off. It's ringing an ex parte criminal charge of contempt. Right. Or not ex parte. That was a, was called a um, quasi criminal charge of contempt in civil. It, and civil. It's legal levels. Just get to the to the point. <laughs> well, OK, the point is that charge against um, Dodzinger will eventually be uh uh, dismissed. He's out of prison. Um, and um, but the point is that, pardon me, I've never been charged with a quasi-criminal charge of contempt or perjury in my civil proceedings. I've never had a civil suit. Um, these, this is relevant. I've never had a civil suit uh, thrown out by a judge on the vexatious litigation. In other words, I wasn't doing anything illegal is what I'm trying to tell you. And yeah, and that will happen. You know, they will just, they will just throw these these strands of legal uh legal threat at you and i think that there is um there is a special legal firm or a legal discipline to deal with lawfare i mean lawfare has become increasingly dispatched on normal citizens who are just trying to get redress of advanced grieving grievances and um while i'm not a lawyer um, a lot of working lawyers kind of stay away from that stuff because they want to. They want to make money. They they want to like process people's probate paperwork <laughs> and make a ton of cash. You know, they they want to go go drink expensive wine and and go boating on the weekends. That's what they want to do. I got to and... add something to that to validate what you're saying. That's very relevant. The <laughs> first of all, I'm disabled. I'm indigent. So try and find a lawyer. Forget about it. It doesn't happen. The Access to Justice Commission has what they call a pro bono working group. Should have assigned me attorneys. Won't. When you fight the big fish, the, the, let's face it, it's inverted totalitarianism. They run well, the system. you know system. what you need to do with all that free time, Mr. William? What's that I, I challenge you to get um, get creative. And if you were, you know, just, just think with me a little bit more creatively. Mm-hmm. Because you've you've invested so much time into this process, and you've you've learned so much, it isn't going to waste. There's no reason to waste it. So, as an activist, I'm going to tell you to try to get yourself a nonprofit sponsor. I mean, just just you know, start making them come to you. Send you know a a roster of letters. Just find them. You know they're. They're out there. These are people who, who bank and they they 
do fundraisers and you know people get their tax breaks by throwing money at them and you know what they could some of them would be interested in your cause and you could make it competitive but you've got to start working them well that's why those nonprofits you got to work them right the the way i went about this initially just to tell you what i did not only did i litigate um, and I withdrew my lawsuit so I could file them in federal, but that's another matter. The, the, the point is that um, I started by going on Facebook. I made instructional videos, how to get criminal cases dropped, how to get your probate. Uh, the probate. By the way, you mentioned probate. The court-appointed accountant, Joe Castellano, was arrested and imprisoned by the DOJ. You can find the press release. I was right about that, too. Um, and uh, so probate, yes, is very corrupt. Now... So I, 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 I made a lot of instructional videos. I got booted off Facebook by citing covert truths. Now I'm on calling. And so, you know, what I do here is more of the same. And maybe this will lead to someone like you're suggesting would be interested. I've been told by a lot of people I need to write more than one book. I mean, but I'm not an author. You know, I need a, someone. To, I'm disabled. I'm home. I've been through the ringer. I've got complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That's mm-hmm. all been diagnosed. I'm trying to deal with a lot of I'm physically disabled, and I'm just trying some days to get up and get to the men's room and back. You know what I mean? It comes down to yeah, that. So yeah, it, it's it's yeah. really tough. So, um, like I said, getting getting a getting someone putting a, a post-it or some kind of uh, bulletin mm-hmm. on your either you know I don't know if you use social media other than Colin. But um, there's ways to do that and to attract people to you. Um, also going to college, because uh, there may be a local legal college near you. Well. And, um, you know, asking for, for pro bono help from one of the legal legal students. You want to so, know how that played out? Oh, the did access, you try? Yeah, the yeah, Access to Justice Commission that's supposed to help the disabled in these matters. Mm-hmm. The Associate Dean of Law for Yale... Quinnipiac Brown and UConn are all on the Access to Justice Commission. I've put in my emails. I've tried to talk to people. Believe it or not, the court operations people on the Access to Justice Commission, when I was fighting all this corruption, worked together to have me arrested in the courthouse in the clerk's office filing subpoena requests. So they're not oh interested God. in helping me. Well, I mean, I, I'm thinking if you don't go, you know, super high octane like Yaley like Ivy League I think you should stay away from Ivy League uh, but you should find some people who are who are scrappy from a different like maybe state level college maybe go out of just over the state line to find that's UConn. Legal college. That's UConn's on the Access to Justice Commission our corrupt state's attorney is a UConn graduate so is our, what our corrupt judges there's a the small state like Connecticut there's a lot of What's the right well, word? But state, I mean, the whole Connecticut, everybody associates Connecticut with basically being um, a, a more recreated Delaware. Nobody believes that that there is a pedestrian or or poor version of Connecticut. They all associate it with, with you know, high or high upper middle class. There's a lot uh, of that. People yeah. of means, people with a you know, two advanced degrees, PhDs, right? That that have second homes, you know, 
in and other they, places. Greenwich, and then they, and they work in New York. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> so, right. I mean, it, it's just kind of like their weekender home is in Connecticut, yeah. mm-hmm. and and that's that's what people associate with Connecticut. So when I say go over the state lines, mm. you know, go to someplace scrappier like Ohio or or Virginia, or even Maryland, where there there are people there. They're looking to get any kind of case. And these nonprofits are, are sprayed all over the place. They want to represent people like you. I don't do those things, but there are people who, who... And you know what? You're really riding a new wave also, William, because, okay, what did they take away from the left that was, you know, that they couldn't use to, to dominate the narrative? Right now, I mean, they abused their license with race, so it got taken out. And they abuse their license with um, with with free freedom of speech. So they got they got you know counterbalanced on that. What else did they do recently? Oh oh. Um, and when I say it, it's like medical medical voice. So now they're kind of oh oh yes the gender the gender transitioning crowd. Um, so they 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 abused it. They abused people's license. They. They threw out people that were more or less normative, and they made things that were not crime criminal. And for that, they've been kind of pushed aside once again. So they have now this this upswing of anti-ableism. Okay, so it's going to be now their their vanguard, their new identity vanguard is going to be. Uh, ableism or you know counter ableism and uh, what is it ageism so you may be able to find a, a, a temporary throttle of you know people who are, are suddenly very interested in everything that you're about because you're disabled and you are aging which you know seems like a cheat but you know, it actually could be your windfall. You'll take it. I I hope you will. Hey, listen, it is what it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> I am who I am. I'm the perfect silver bullet. Some of this has to be divided into the sunset with me. You know what I mean? Let, let me tell you something. You know who got who got uh, who got roped into some of this was that Brad Manning needed legal representation, so he ran left. And how he got out of jail, and is is free to be Chelsea Manning today uh, is because he, he ran left and, and got some people to, to help represent him that were pretty, they just were consistent. All right. I didn't know that they were as commie as they were, but they were, mm. um, but they were definitely consistent helpers and they went and they could get leftist money. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm just saying, you know, uh, because they, they organize differently and they're able to, to get leftist money. Now, if you went to the right wing and said, you know, hey, you know, it'd be a different kind of thing. But a lot of those a lot of those helpers are going to be associated with uh, Catholic functions. So yeah. you might have to parry left. I'm sorry, William. Ugh! Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, man. You know, like, I, I don't know, I don't want to throw you in that dungeon, but. Jeez, if you're pressed for for legal help and and you got nothing, all right. <laughs> well, I'm trying to navigate it. I, I don't have I- it for you. Like if I had if if I had in my bag in my back pocket, you know, a, a group of nonprofits that would that would help you out, um, and be available for those things. 
um, and had had available resources, you know, I would I would absolutely do it. But um, of course, there's there's a lot more out there. I mean, if you want to be picky and choosy, there's going to be a lot. A lot of them are are some of them are going to be increasingly vanguarded left, but they're going to be cro- crawling up this this ladder the grimy, greasy pole uh, and yelling and screaming loud about ableism. Now, when you get out of that, is at least get three or four moderate ones definitely lined up as, as your, your, your sensational core there. Uh, don't rely exclusively because when they go absolutely batshit and start alienating normal people, normal hospitals, normal legal, normal legal enterprises, Things that are genuinely helpful, they operate perfectly fine, but then they start finding massive problems with everything based on um, taxonomy. Do you know what I'm talking about? What happens on the right and left side? I mean, you know that. Yeah, when they start attacking, you know, useless attacks based on taxonomy. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, I don't like the word that you use to describe this thing. In this press release today. And for that, you will be embarrassed with two minutes of hate for the next two weeks, and we will try to displa- like deplatform you. And so you got to get off. Whoever's on that boat yelling on that bullhorn, you got to get away from them fast. And it's weird, you know, sometimes it takes a little while for them to reveal themselves. And suddenly you it's hear true. something. Whoa, 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 where'd that come from? You know, that happened what? the other day, as I described. Um, that I felt to you, um, mm-hmm. so, so I think, you know, I hope you don't mind me calling you sister. I think we're all brothers and sisters. And and I just I lived on and off a monastery for four years of world religions. I'm not saying that to suggest I, I bought the Bhagavad Gita when I was twelve. I've always been trying to follow the spiritual path. Some people say that's why I'm crazy. I don't know, but the point I'm trying to make. I don't think you're crazy. I think you're. I think you're a a man with a, a decent embattled spirit you're a wounded healer and you're trying to do the best you can and i won't fault you for it so if you call me sister that's not a bad it won't be a bad it won't be okay a bad so so i i just wake up every morning honestly and i say okay lord help me through the day because i'm bone on bone in my hips i got a ruptured disc I'm, I'm i got and i'm trying to get manage my day and i say what can i do today and you know i was on calling with another fella and he had to get off. We had a, the phone. We had a great conversation, and then I searched for a room, and bang, there you were. And I said, "Well, let me see what Sheila's talking about." I don't think anything happens by coincidence. There's no accident that we're both on call in, and I'm not saying this. We have a great future together as prophetic uh, healers. <laughs> I'm just saying there's no accident we're at this level. And you know, I heard you the other day on the call in that you spoke on, and then we spoke. Of, in other words, we're all here. We're interdependent beings. You know what I mean? We, we, none of us function well isolated for long. And so this is what it's all about. It's all about healing. It's about a heart space. Where it leads from here is in God's hands. You know what I mean? This and, is true. And you got to learn to trust. And things aren't yeah. going to go as smoothly. I have Absolutely. my own battles. Mm. And well, I, what do you got to share with us? You can share anything? Oh, uh, you know, well, right now, um, you know, it, it's so difficult. You know, I have felt like a sanctioned citizen for most of my life, um, but it's been very difficult. I actually wrote to Julian Assange years ago mm. about um, about some of the things that were going on because he has mm. had 
he's had that tr a highly strange life and highly strange trials. There are other people in my story that have been helpful, um, angels of grace, if you will, um, in media. And, you know, so I've had to been kind of like, for the better part of like 10 years or while I was in the Seattle area, which was actually a really rough ride, you know, I think that people don't know a lot about what goes on there. I think they don't realize how enmeshed the, you know, the clandestine state or the, the sprawling, needy computing and tech complexes just enmeshed with the needs of the, of the deep state and of the administrative state of the United States. But definitely, if they're leaning on, you know, information security, there's, there's a defense and an offense, and there's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff. And a lot of them have touched, if you're in the National Security Administration, for instance, part of their, their protectorate is this highly strange area of um, <laughs> aeronautical and space. Like the NASA stuff. Now NASA seems like a a perfectly, you know, accessible pedestrian of of and for the citizenry agency. But I can tell you that there's an aspect of them when they throw it to Bigelow and Lockheed, Northrop Grumman, and any of the contractors that goes out the window. Okay, because NASA has a PR club that makes you think Carl Sagan and the moon and the planets and mm -hmm. those fun, you know, orbital things that are above you. But this, there are people, there are people in, and I will keep this brief, there are people and there are not a small number of people that have had highly strange experiences and they've been malevolently handled by the United States government. Their own citizens have been mishandled by the United States government. And they didn't do it themselves. They use contractors, which is pretty common these days. You know, and I guess, you know, the best and most recent example we could pull from is Mr. Edward Snowden is one such analyst slash contractor that was used and manipulated so uh, to conduct you know, I mean, just the most invasive spying operation on the American people ever. Mm. So it was completely believable for me from the get because I think the aim has always been to kind of advance a totalitarian um, underboss to, uh -huh. to degrade to degrade the, the, the usefulness of a free republic. And I don't, I, I have been a voice on on Colin to to say in a repeated way that I don't I did these are unelected people uh -huh. they don't have the credentials to to run your life but they they repeatedly insist that they want to be in charge and they insinuate themselves into systems where they they don't have the legal right to be there the government doesn't check them and then you get you get Nils Meltzer okay Nils uh -huh. Meltzer 
ends up being the guy you got to rely on. And he's the guy at the UN Special Rapporteur for torture and egregious bad treatment of, of human beings. Okay? Wow. So, I mean, they're, they're, it's not that big of a toss, but, you know, there's, there's not a, a small number of people that have been egregiously disadvantaged at the hands of the United States government, and they are also their own citizens. And they well, have also endured highly strange things. Yeah, well, let me touch on two things real quick to validate that. First of all, I found the article on the witness against Julian uh, who admitted he lied. And uh, it's uh, United States Department of Justice case against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange took a serious hit last week. This was printed in July 2021. This fellow admitted to the Atlantic newspaper on June 26th that he lied. Would you lied. place that link in the chat section? Because I know that that would be yeah, really sure. helpful to, to listeners who are going to read this or, or you know consume this media afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Just to pronounce his name the best I can, it's Signor Dur Inig... No, N-G... He's probably um, Icelandic. Yeah, Sigurd. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. probably, it's like Sigurds or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he and he lied, but yet Julian's still being prosecuted. Go figure. How does that happen? Uh, just full-on corruption and abuse of power, I would suggest. And yes, it does happen to people all over the world and here in the United States. And I, I appreciate you listening and being an opportunity for me to tell my story. And I know other people in the state of Connecticut this has happened to. When I was involved in Facebook also, in reform groups for justice reform, uh, probate reform, this is not an uncommon thing I heard. People charged with crimes as they're exposing corruption, uh, not only in the United yeah, States. Yeah, it's but called it's, retaliation. Yeah, it, it's it's lawfare and retaliation, and it's super common. They're trying. They're sk- get, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What was the how question? did you get? You know, this is you're an activist. You're aware of all this. Was, was your family like kind of steeped in it? Was your mom a lawyer or were political activists? I'm just trying to get a, a you know. How did you become who you are? You well, know, I mean, I, through the fires of hell. Okay. Like <laughs> through, me. Through okay. the fires of hell, William. And um, but it started early. It started my my uh, my induction or my. Uh, my my trial with this this whole uh, strange, highly strange um, persecutory, you know what they call uh, to be crucified. Mm-hmm. Okay, a, because this is this is what they do. This is what the the deep state or or people who are in power inverse power structures how they perform. They. They try to blame you for their crimes, and they think that that by doing that, they will get away with it. And that is, it, it's a tough road to hoe because when they have the power, when they perceivably have the power, um, you know, th- there is a there is a prayerfulness you have to maintain to get around it. And um, there have been many, many dangerous times in my life because. I had to rely on the same people who were persecuting me for survival. survival. Wow. That's scary. Holy smokes. Yeah. And, um, and I have said on, on two occasions this week privately that, um, 
that's not a good place to be and you should you should definitely thank God that you're not their prisoner you thank you thank God for your freedom every free breath you take when you wake up in the morning that you are not their prisoner and I, I name it and claim it I am not their prisoner I am no one's prisoner and I'm a free girl and I am not I am not to be treated as as uh, as property of the United States government. Okay. I remember that. <laughs> so with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll it up. It's been 49 I, minutes. It's been lo- gone long. I mean, do you want to have any other points before we take off? Yeah, I I put the link you requested in the live chat, so it's there. Oh, that's very helpful. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, I don't know. Other than to say, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again, and more yeah. will be revealed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone else want to add their thoughts before we get out of here? I mean, I don't want to unduly keep us, but Jonathan was was on board with me. He's on a sailboat somewhere in uh, southern Georgia, northern Florida. Uh, there's Samantha. That's a new person. I haven't seen her in here before. And then uh, the Joshua Dot. I think Jed was in here moments ago, but um, I appreciate everyone who's dropped in the to be with us today you're all welcome back uh we'll be doing a music program tomorrow <laughs> to get a little little extra light relief yeah and uh we're doing an all billy eilish show i think it should be great all right you guys have a fantastic thursday night we'll see you tomorrow thanks for listening before you go remember that callers are welcome Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and call in. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.